0: you are listening to the unlock your sound podcast feel free to join the discussion over at the unlock your sound facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash unlock your sound
1: welcome to another episode of unlock your sound podcast i'm your host chris baby and this week chris kavala isn't with us unfortunately as he's currently exploring india so hopefully we'll get some updates from him and i'll be able to share those with you on the podcast but today, I have a very special guest who's very kindly agreed to join me on this podcast. I'm not doing it on my own, which I'm very grateful for. So I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, Mr. John Holt. How are you doing, John?
0: Woohoo. Thank you very much for having me, man.
1: No worries at all. I really appreciate you coming on and not uh, <laughs> not allowing me to do this on my own because that would be terrible for me. It would be terrible for the listeners. And uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> totally silly, man. No, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, excellent. Um, in this episode, I want to do a bit more of a casual, let's talk about production techniques episode. And, um, John does a lot of videos um, over the the journey about this sort of stuff, so I encourage you to go and look at all his content after this episode. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes below. Um, I just wanted to start off, John, by talking to you. So I'm not a. Pro- I don't make music anymore. Um, and you know, you're thinking, oh, well, what qualifies you to talk about this? It's because I work with music every day as a master engineer, so I see everything. I, I, I'm, unlike a producer who just makes house music, I have this sort of um, unblinkered view of music. And I see everything, I hear everything, and I, but I keep seeing similar... I don't want to call them mistakes, and we'll come on to why I don't want to call it a mistake, but I see the similar issues across various... Um, genres of music i want to sort of get get a little bit into that maybe why that is why do we see the same issues cropping up again and again even though these pieces of music are vastly different to each other um so is there anything that you when i talked about doing this podcast is there anything which you suddenly thought oh that's a really big thing i hear or a question i get asked a lot in production
0: that's a really good question and um it can be it can be quite broad or quite specific so um and then sort of you can whittle that down to genres of music that you're making but i think in general with recording um especially from a beginner perspective which is what a lot of my content is geared towards um it's about getting people to understand the the basics of like you don't need to record as close to zero db as possible in order to get a good sound um we're not fighting a massive noise floor like we were in the analog days yeah um so uh, that's that's a really common one and then with with electronic mu- music makers um it's at least for me personally uh in the music that i make which has been rather sporadic recently but uh it's about understanding that electronic musicians just as much as a band sitting down with a guitar are songwriters um and yeah. you really do have to focus on the kind of musical element of it it's not just um like you were saying just before we started it's not just putting like a a boots and cats and then some little kind of vocal chop over it it's like no you have to you have to arrange and write a song and um, that's that's what good house music is if you listen to people like Disclosure and like Duke Dumont they they write really really nice music like if you take those chords um sort of chord progressions out and the melodies it's like that that's really really nice it's like a lot of thought and music theory has gone into that Um, that music whereas people might just see it as kind of like yeah it's just electronic music you just sort of hit buttons and (laughs) and music comes out it's like no you are you really are a a songwriter at that stage absolutely and I'm really
1: glad you started with those two things because it's exactly what I've written down in my notes so um, it's really useful no um, just okay listeners everyone's going oh they're talking about it again yes we we won't keep recording very loud the reason we keep saying it is because not because it's the one thing we cling to it's because we keep seeing it it's this thing um everyone's looking for numbers oh what number should i record at like how many what what and what, what scale should i use and and how should i gauge this and you kind of going the worst thing that ever happened in digital systems like doors and stuff was the fact that everything's got numbers on it um and and again okay that's a very sweeping statement but i really do feel that sometimes that if pro tools and stuff didn't have meters everywhere people would probably mess up the first couple of times but then they would listen and then they would then adjust gain Mm -hmm. whereas people now just look oh it's kind of near minus 18 or minus 12 or minus 24 but those are because that's what the common points are on most meters well 20 is fine like (laughs) 19 and a half I I don't know I don't know what the source material is but about this whole getting it close to zero as possible no it's not right um it it, it's just one of those things of you really do need to listen um and, and and you need to be confident in setting levels and that only comes through doing it again and again and making horrendous mistakes where you recorded an amazing set of vocals too hot and they sound rubbish and you feel awful for a couple of days afterwards and you have to go and redo them again. I've done it. Mm -hmm. I know loads of engineers have done it. And, yeah, it's really sad, but get over it. Like (laughs) you, you You need to do these things. Mistakes are amazing to make. Unfortunately, sometimes they're made at bad times, but the earlier you can make these mistakes, the better. Um, so thanks for bringing that up. And we won't keep going on about gain staging and levels in this episode because I know most of this must be bored by it now. But the reason why which we're, we're boring with, with you is because we want it to become second nature and we want it to become like not a thing anymore that you even think about. It's just a way you do your process. So, oh, I'm setting levels. Yeah, can you just sing the chorus for me over and over again? Just keep singing the chorus. Cool, thanks. I'll just go over here and I'll have a listen and sort of figure out where I want you to be. Oh, she's... Mm, Is she coming up too high in the verse oh is that rap vocal oh yeah it's a little bit too mm, yeah okay i need to change that right okay so in in the chorus i might need to back off actually okay so i'll stop recording we'll do the verse separate to the chorus and reset levels you can do all that that's not a problem so i just wanted to get out of the way um, but thank you for bringing that up because that is probably my number one, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I know it's Chris's number one, and he's probably listening to the podcast now in India, going yes, yes, <laughs> preach it, preach it. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, and probably getting fine looks from everyone. Uh, so yeah, um, and the second thing about not yeah, electronic musicians have this image of of people sat in bedrooms with a laptop and a uh, sort of npc or something just making beats and, mm-hmm. and that's not what a musician is um a musician is someone who writes music um and songs and you can do that and i think it's really important that every uh producer of music knows that they can just sit down in a beanbag in the corner of a room and hum to themselves and write lyrics or just hum a tune in their head and write down in any notation form they think of or sit with a little, so sit sit with your iPhone and record yourself humming a melody. That's still producing. You haven't it hasn't got to be on the laptop all the time. Oh, I'm I'm making a beat. I'm making a track. No, you can just sit and think about it. That's a really important part of production. And I think it's really good that you've brought those two worlds together and gone. No, it hasn't just got to be a rock band here in a studio, sat around with the guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could sit around with some keyboards. And a laptop with friends and each of would be making a different part of the track on a different computer but you're just performing it live and thinking about it.
0: That's exactly it and I think Chris described it really well um, on one of the previous episodes that you did uh, or a conversation we had is that you shouldn't be intimidated by music theory sort of to come at it from from a slightly different angle. Um, it's not something that you it's not like you can't make electronic music or any other kind of music unless you've memorised all of the scales and um, all kind all kinds of inversions and stuff yeah. for chords. It's like, you don't need to be fluent in it. Um, he described it as music theory being like a language. Um, and if you were going to France, you wouldn't not go to France because you're not fluent in speaking and writing French, but knowing a little bit, to, to be able to ask where the train station is, to be able to ask where the bathroom is, say please and thank you. It's like um, incredibly British, of course, um, is is it all you need to do um, so that you know what a scale is, you know what a key is, you know what an octave and a root note is, um, and then you're, you're on your way. You can Google a scale and you can say, right, we're going to write this in F-sharp minor. Let's just have a look what notes are in that and let's use that, say... So, Don't be intimidated by music theory because you really don't need to have a load of stuff memorised, but it is really helpful to remember that you are, at the end of the day, writing music. Um, And there's that whole debate, which um, we might touch on a little bit later as to what people start with when making music, whether they start with drums, whether they start with keys, melodies, whether they have like a little vocal idea and run with that. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, understanding that you are writing music, not just making dope-ass beats with, a, with an MPC. Um, yeah, it's a really important distinction.
1: Yeah. No, no, it's, it's really funny. Um, I'm pretty sure you've been looking at my notes somehow, even though we're in different counties in the UK. Because um, I even read, written down, because this is from your, um, from your live uh, uh, cast you do on Facebook, I wrote down, get John to talk through the analogy about language. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Greek last time, not French that oh, but it? but, okay. but it's but that is exactly that you you don't um i'm I'm not a musician I wouldn't call myself a musician. I played bass in various bands and I still play bass and I play a bit of guitar. I can sort of hammer out some chords on a piano and uh, a bit of theory. I don't see my knowledge as having holes in it. I've just decided to push the boat out on that stuff as far as I want to go for the moment. Okay. Um, and I kind of feel some musicians go well. If I if I want to make an amazing track, I need to know all the scales off by heart. No, yes. I, I, you can if you want to. There, are, so that there is. You see it on. Uh, people are arguing about this on forums. Like There'll be the people going, oh, you, if you want to become an amazing blues jazz musician, you need to know all your scales. Now, I would agree, for jazz and blues, it is really useful, because a lot of improvisation is based around that. Yeah. However, you cannot tell me that the Delta blues musicians of the 1920s uh, was, <laughs> knew all their... Um, Mixolydian (laughs) scales off by heart. Exactly. And some of the blues improvisations that they've made are just outstanding and incredible and won't be able to be repeated. Uh Exactly that. But there'll be musicians who don't know anything about scales but they can still hear oh I can hear that run I can hear that flow of notes. Uh That I would say that's still musical theory it's just not conventional musical theory it's being able to feel music and have a good ear is also an exception uh, is also an acceptable way of being able to understand music theory
0: in my opinion i couldn't agree more and it i really like what you touched on there about like just inherently kind of having a feel for what should come next or something like i think the way that i have experienced that person is like i'm um First of all, you're being way too humble in terms of your musical knowledge and prowess. <laughs> I think you could definitely class yourself as a musician with that level of knowledge. But um, not you, in man. your nature to be humble, Chris, <laughs> damn it. Um, but uh, I'm
1: sat here surrounded by guitars.
0: Around. <laughs> <laughs> no, carry on. Um, a, a really common example of that, I think, at least for myself and, and I'm sure other people is um, when... In a chord progression, um, it's kind of said that, say, my music theory is really, really not that good, but um, a chord at the end of a chord progression can be like a resolve chord. Um, yeah. And sometimes you just know, like, you can feel what should go there, even as a non musician. Um, if you've got like a, a G and then an A, it's like do, do, do. And that last one just like feels right. And people could probably like, like you say, sing that to you, but they yeah. couldn't be like that needs to be a, a C or something like that. It's, it's really funny to tell that because that is exactly what happens
1: in um, in Close Encounters, um, the sci-fi film, where they're playing the notes to the alien spaceship. Okay. So this is a massive nerd tangent now, but it's <laughs> that do 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 do, and then it's almost like they the the way they communicate is the aliens know to play that note back, mm-hmm. and the, the the obviously the bit of the sci-fi. The plot is the fact of that uh, musical uh, musicality is entrenched in mathematics in the way that things are separated and the way mm-hmm. we as humans hear music is is mathematical um, down to Hertz basically. Yeah. And the idea of the movie was that that transcends all living beings and that the aliens knew what note to play back at oh, the end wow. of that scale. Yeah, yeah. It, it, again, that's a really bizarre tangent, but. The, the idea of that I can almost everyone on this earth, if you whistled some kind of line, most people would be able to then whistle what they think might fit after it. Mm-hmm. It may not be what you thought might fit, but it would yeah. still fit. You wouldn't, I mean, if someone completely changed the, um, the key of it, mm-hmm. we, we can, not everyone can sing, but most people can sing together okay. in a group. By hearing other people, and you can you yes. balance yourself in with people that's um, right uh, you, uh, look at uh football chanting in stadiums, thousands of people. No one's a trained musician necessarily there, but that you can and people are singing together and know where things are going to go in in volume and in tonality mm-hmm. through either a learned process or just you can kind of hear where things are going to go again if someone can explain this better i can't but i really do feel that a lot of this is feeling and now mm-hmm. people going, oh no it's not feeling you you uh, the, the brain knows the differences between okay fair enough but i the way i've experienced it is that sometimes you've heard stuff and you go oh i can hear where this is going oh it did go that way oh that's cool or that's the way that i would have added that bit to it or uh, there, there are lots of tracks i've heard and i've gone oh yeah that's something i'd do actually and that sounds quite pig-headed of, of me to say that because some of these tracks I've heard are big tracks and I are going, well, that's actually, that's quite a good idea. I think I would have done that. But that's not wrong to say. I think lots of people would feel that way.
0: Exactly. No, it's it's so true. Um, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to know where, where that comes from. But maybe it's from pop music um, using like very, very similar chords. Like there's those um, YouTube videos that are like, seventy five of number ones over the last like twenty years played using four chords yeah um yeah. so maybe we just get used to that kind of thing in terms of like notes and chords um but say like John Mayer's new song for example new light um and that's like a minor d and then so after that it's just like a g just sounds so right after yeah that. yeah but how do how do we know that? Like do 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 it's like that yeah that just resolves it. It's, it sounds so right, but how do we know that? Is is it mathematical or is it just from um from a young age? Uh even if you're not from a musical family, you you tend to have the radio on or you're hearing music from an incredibly young age, do you just get used to those kind of um steps almost or intervals or like um Common core progressions that quite unquote just fit well together. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. No, no, I, I, I just think that's a really it's a really interesting point, and I, I'm really glad we've gone down this route because a lot of production, I feel, everyone immediately goes into. Like everyone probably thought at the beginning of this episode we're going to be talking about EQ settings mm-hmm. and how sh- how to compress kick drums. No, no, because that's not that's not production to me. That's mixing. Mm-hmm. We 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 will do a mixing episode where we do specific processes um and we'll make short episodes we do just about eq just about compression just about limiting mm-hmm. but this is about getting getting people out of the oh if i get this plugin or if i get this equipment or do i get that or do i get this that will make me good at production no what makes you good at production is listening to music and writing music without a computer that makes um, sense. Use the computer as a tool for writing. Don't mm-hmm. use it just as your notepad. Yeah. So Don't use the door just to get down the music. You can just have a door session just full of random ideas. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And I think what you said about where this stuff might come from, and I think I agree with you, this feeling comes from listening to music. Yeah. Like the experiment you want to do is, is raise a child with no connection to music mm-hmm. into the age of 20, then try and teach them to play the guitar and then yeah. do the same thing with another child and then teach them to play guitar at 20 and see which one gets it mm-hmm. first. And that'd be it. a horrendous, sick thing to do to a poor oh. child. But um, God, that's, the, <laughs> that's the only way we'd ever be able to find out whether it's a feeling thing. Yeah, and, and I, But I, I think it is. I mean, if you think of all the tracks that connect with you, they are, for, well, for me, a lot of the music... That I enjoy is music that I heard growing up, um, from my parents, which is sort of late sixties, early seventies, mm-hmm. and early eighties music. That sort of that sort of sort of sixty five, seventy, eighty five. I love, and yeah. it's because it's what it's because what my parents enjoyed. So it's what's played. It was what it's what was, it's what was played in my house growing up
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I was a child. So I identify all that so yeah. if I ever wrote music it's gonna have those elements from it I can't hear that influence I can't be I cannot be original but I can be original by using influences I think that's another thing people find they go oh I feel like I'm taking something from that track well so's everyone mm-hmm. like if you look at the progression of a music track from 1990 it's got 50s 60s 70s 80s elements in it <laughs> if you look exactly. at a track from the 80s it's got 50s 60s 70s elements in it it's just the decade before will influence what's coming up so i think from that feeling point of view is it
0: is by listening to music yeah yeah definitely and there's only a finite number that like there's only 12 notes in a in a western scale at least on western sort of piano yeah. um and i heard a, a really cool quote from um it was like a sort of off-the-cuff comment from an author who was approached by um, fans. This is uh, Modern Family, actually, one of my favorite TV shows. Oh, it's brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah. It was, uh, I think it was, who is it? Um, Claire and uh, Cam uh, Yeah. see this author on a train that they absolutely love. Um, I think it was O.C. And they, they approached him like, oh, my God, we love you. You're, you're amazing. Like, what's going to happen in this next book? Um, you're so talented, and he was like, "Please, I just take the same 26 letters that you all know and rearrange them in a financially rewarding <laughs> way." <laughs> yeah, but that, but that is true, isn't it? That's yeah. true. That's we all have access to that alphabet. Yeah. It's just like what what you do with it, and it's the same with same with music. And so, something that's interesting as well is um, just while I think of it, it's kind of just. Um, not letting my, not having really a filter process between here um when when i mentioned that that's uh, a western of, so we've got 12 notes on a yeah. piano it'd be really interesting to take someone that's grown up in india with those completely different scales um yes and ideas of um of music theory uh, and see if they have the same kind of instinct to resolve chord progressions in the same way or like what should come next in this might be completely different for them
1: well, that, that, that I kind of happened the opposite way of, um, like, again, we're doing an episode on sort of production and production ideas. I mean, this isn't a production episode. This is production mindset and, and sort of how to go about the process. And we can't do the episode without talking about the Beatles. And the Beatles did that where they went to India in the 60s to learn their music. Okay. And brought, so that's why after, I think it's '66 the music just flips completely and you can hear all these influences come in. Mm. And I think, again, that was that was them being open to not... That, that was them being open to going, right, we have our music. Let's go listen to their music. Oh, that's really cool. Why, why don't we... People would say, oh, they stole India's music. Well, no, you can't steal music in that way. It's just they took ideas... And then just jammed them together with Western music and made this beautiful mix of of, of worlds and colliding of scales and even just techniques of playing the, the guitar mm. where they took the ways of playing music on the sitar and changed that mm. across the guitar and then vice versa and things like that. And I think, again, I think the... Go to, uh, I know it's very easy, you keep going back to electronic music, but I feel electro- electronic music has always started in this box. Mm. Um, uh, uh, physically and metaphorically, um, yeah. I think people also are very hard on their genres in, mm-hmm. in, in electronic music. Oh, what kind of beat maker are you? Are you hard house or house?
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: Mate, 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 are you hard house or are you house?
0: Or are you tech house?
1: Or are you tech house? Or progressive or, are you tech...
0: or electronic <laughs> yeah. or, uh, like, progressive.
1: Like, you can't be too Dude, it. you can't be hard tech house or tech hard house or hard <laughs> tech hard house. You've got to choose one, bro. That
0: hurt my brain a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you do, and, and you hear it and you kind of go, look, just don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about getting stuck. If, if you're going to pull something from somewhere else, do it. Mm. Um, I always remember. I can't remember. It's a, it's a documentary, and it's about. This sounds bizarre. It's about. Is it the, was it a hip hop documentary on Netflix, or oh, can't remember? There's a. There was one guy who was, ragging on the Incredible Bongo Band, for nicking, that sample. I can't. No. 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 So it was Grandmaster Flash nicking, the sample from Incredible Bongo Band, and he said, well, anyone could do that," and then. Grandmaster Flash was like, yeah, but I did it. Like, yeah, I get your point. It's not my... I did not make that music. I took that piece of music and looped it. Mm-hmm. And I think this applies for all sampling. If Everyone goes, well, well you, you just took that and changed it. And you go, yeah, but I did it. Yeah, If it was that easy, everyone would have done it before me. And they didn't. I did it. It's still mm-hmm. music. I've still made this a... A piece of music it's not it's not as easy that that's why I find it difficult with all these law cases that came out um I mean like the famous one between the verve and um the rolling stones that whole melody mm. um like I understand that there are technical things to do with the actual recordings I'm not saying you should go out there and steal everyone's music but I do feel there is a there's a difference between copying someone's music verbatim And then there is taking pieces of already recorded music and changing them and making it a new piece of music are two very different things. I think that's something I know we've sort of segued into another argument here in this podcast, but I think it's very important in production is not to get stuck in a box and be limited by stuff. And if you're going, well, I've I've written this beat, but it's so similar to that Travis out the moment. So what? Mm -hmm. Like it's because it's. The reason why you've made that beat is because that tracks out of the moment. It's probably in your head. It's probably permeating into your subconscious, and you like it. You think, oh, well, this could inspire me to write some lyrics that are completely different to the track that's out of the moment. I mean, think of how many four-on-the-floor drum beats there are. You can't... I mean, is it... Can you make an original four on the floor? Of course you can. But it's not the beat that's different. It's what goes around it, and maybe you change some of the swing of it, or you drop it in and out, or you change the tonality of those elements of the beat that's the Mm. difference you can't change i mean that is what it is that's it but you can change the elements of it i think that's something else to think about
0: um yeah definitely like boots and cats will be used for a long time to come like that's that's just how it works but um there's there's that quote isn't there good artists copy great artists steal um yeah and i think if the listeners wanted to go on and, and watch something um, interesting about sampling. Um, Mark Ronson did an excellent TED talk about sampling. Yes. Yeah. Um so that that would be a cool one to, to maybe link up for, for people and if they want to go and watch that's that That's
1: a really good that's a really, really good idea actually. I I'll I definitely put it on to the because I watched that and it's very interesting because he's a very interesting producer in the fact that he steals from everything. And he mm. admits everything he admits it. I mean he talked about Amy Winehouse's uh album, it Back to Black mm. and it's. I mean, some people would say it's got Aretha Franklin all over it. Some people would say it's got the Stones all over it. Mm. I mean, there's some elements in that track. It's. it's if if you'd said to me that was and that was made in '68, I'd have gone, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. From a technical point of view, you, you, you would tell that it's not. But mm. from a, a musical point of view, but they didn't. They didn't nick anything. He was like, no, that's the music I love. It's the music she loved. We came together. That's why they worked together, and they made this amazing record. Yeah, that stands up head of shoulders about anything that was made in that same year. I feel. Yeah, and it was purely from a place of love of a se- a selection of music, and they made something original from it. Yeah, but if they'd gone, oh no, we can't do that. The 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 girl fronting a, a sort of blues. Uh, funk r- rhythm band has been done. Now nah, let's do
0: something different. What a what a shame that would have been. Exactly. Like the yeah. there's so much that like doesn't have to be the same, but so much that is tried and tested and works. But you can really put your own twist on it. Like I've I've done a video on on my channel, which is um about how to stop getting stuck in eight or sixteen bar loops when when you're yeah. recording, and. The whole premise of it is basically steal someone else's arrangement, like map out the arrangement mm. of a song that you like um, uh, and just map out. So like um, lead comes in here. So I'll have tracks like drums, bass, uh, chords, like listen to what's in the track uh, and then an extra one for like effects and automation um, and just map it out, spend an hour or so, like mapping out this song um, and then just you, you put your own elements in, like sort of fill in the blanks like put your own kick drum so you're using your own sounds you'll be using your own vocals lyrics um or patches or whatever you 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 go for um and I can understand why people would disagree with that but they're like it's it's music tends to be structured in such a way that's like tends to be like intro verse one uh chorus like there, there's a really common structure to, to music and it works. Like that's what mm. people like, but you bring your own thing to it from your influences. Um, yeah. I think that that's a really important thing to remember is that like, just because your song has the same structure and it has the same, like generally speaking, drum pattern uses the same chords. Um, it's going to sound like vastly, vastly different. Um, I I don't quite know how to verbalize this actually. Um,
1: so don't, don't worry this, uh, this second point this is a re it's a very this is why I want to do this with you because you you are the same mindset as me this isn't a cut and dry thing mm. there, at no point in this podcast have we ever gone oh so the way you produce is because you can't It's this is all exactly the fact that you're finding it hard to say what you want to say is brilliant because it shows you how difficult this is
0: it's so true it's, it's why I don't produce music <laughs> It's, uh. it's so true but like i think what i try try to verbalize is the fact that you could you could take a drum pattern that has to be the same just your standard like rock beat pattern let's say uh, and say right over the top of that you have to use this chord progression like g d a minor c that's the chord progression you have to use um and you have to have this song structure intro for and you could get to you could get so many infinitely like different sounding songs within those constrictions like from the way that you play the chords um from the way that like say the drums are swung um from the way that it's played like you can get so many different variations out of that so like the fact that that chord progression has been used that many times so many times like it doesn't matter, man. It it works, and you you just put your own stamp on it. And I think that's that's an intimidating thing to hear as well as like just be original, put your own stamp on it. It's as especially coming through as a beginner. It's like how do I know what my like sound is? How do I know if this is is anything really original? It's like no, nah, just just make music that comes from your influences. Build a create a habit of creativity because creativity is a habit that you, that you train, um, and that is sort of the way that I've found to sort of overcome that writer's block or like paralysis of feeling like you're not doing anything original. It's like yeah. just just write music and nothing's nothing's original. And
1: and you might find actually that you've written this track and you go oh this track's a little bit too um, a bit too similar to that. I'll I'll shelf that for a minute. Right, you go away. You go and write something else. Right, done. I made this really it's a really good piano bit here. Ah, okay. I'll go back. And I'll take the drums from that last single I did, and you only you only collect that bank of half finished songs, beats, lyric sheets, chord progressions. If you you have to make them, and this sounds really annoying. And oh, that's obvious, Chris. Yeah, but people don't do it. People delete stuff. They. I mean, look. Come on. Unless your hard drive is absolutely crammed with hundreds and hundreds of unfinished songs, but most of them aren't. I mean, just if you build up a collection of things, you will start to go, oh, well, I'll take that and then I can. Because I was in a different space then. That was a year ago. I was only making that kind of music. But actually, I'm going to take that beat, which is from that genre or that feeling, and I'm going to pair it with this. Or I've now found this singer. Ah, no, he doesn't fit with that track I was making before. But do you know what? That voice on that track is going to sound epic. And I'm going to go and do that. And, And actually, that's what. "Quote," well, I hate to say, it, but what real bands might do? Mm. Bands, we have a collection of people. They do that. Um, they do that by default because you've got maybe five or six people all writing music. If you're on your own, you don't have that. So you kind of need to be six people um, yeah. making different styles of music from different points. And I wanted to sort of take that and go into a slight tangity bit, which we were going to do another podcast on, which is about a bit of study in music um and no no listeners it won't be a, a music theory or a sort of uh high school uh, music lesson why I main boys i want to do a, a podcast where we talk about some of our very favorite pieces of music and we take them apart musically um and, and what i like listeners to do is to go and do that um so find music that you like and don't just listen to it, but listen to it in the... Don't listen to it in a, in a oh, I'm just sat listening to music context. Sit and listen to it like, oh, so what are they doing here? Let's pick up the lyrics. What are the lyrics trying to say? What's the message of the song? Let's remove the music bit for the moment. Mm. How is the vocal sung in relation to the music? Is it a sad song? So how mm. is the vocal being sung in a sad way? Or is it not? Is it a juxtaposition? Mm. Uh, a very good example of that is, is Tears of a Clown. It's a very famous Motown song. It is a very depressing, lyrically song, mm. but it's sung in an upbeat okay, Motown, very upbeat song, and it's a massive juxtaposition of music and lyrics together, and it works amazingly, but mm-hmm. it doesn't quite make sense when you pull it apart, but that's the beauty of it. And then mm-hmm. maybe people have gone, oh, I've never, re- ne- I've never noticed that before oh right okay but that's why it maybe caught people's imagination or why it was such a good radio hit i -hmm. don't know but i'm trying to get people in that mindset and also listening to different genres yeah um i um, as a master engineer i have to work with everything and i listen to everything there's only one genre of music i cannot stand and that's opera um i appreciate the technical aspect of opera i think it's unbelievable how they can sing Mm -hmm. I just can't think of anything worse than just listening to opera unfortunately (laughs) opera and bagpipes I think Mm. um partial to be yodeling do you know what yodeling I find more funny than I don't like it so I I I, I can I can appreciate that and again from a technical aspect I mean proper yodeling takes years and years of uh, practice to do but Mm. like I see loads of musicians who go I don't like classical music, and I go, okay, fair enough. You may you may not want to go and sit and listen to a an orchestra. However, if you don't understand the impact that, and I, I use the word classical music in a very broad term because there will be some aficionados that go, oh, actually, classical music only applies from sixteen eighty something to seventeen ninety, and then it moves into romantic or baroque. And you, okay, fair enough. I mean the whole broad term classical music. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand the connection between classical music and heavy metal, then you need to go and look at that. Mm. If you don't understand the connection between classical music and 21st century and 20th century pop music, you mm. need to go and have a very hard look at that because classical music is the bedrock of all Western music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important, lots of production techniques uh, crossover. And the main one I want to just very quickly discuss with you is layering. Mm-hmm. Um layering in classical music is outstanding. And that yeah. comes from a non musical point of view. It comes from a technical point of view. It comes yeah. from the fact that it's made in a time where there's no amplification. So you need lots of instruments all working together at the same time, mm-hmm. <laughs> playing different parts of a spectral um uh what's that? you need lots of different par- lots of different instruments playing different parts of the audio spectrum to mm-hmm. fill a, a concert hall. Yeah. We jump forward to the 21st century, we have all this equipment, we can make anything we want just on a computer. If you're layering synths up. Don't just layer the same chord progression with a different instrument patch on top mm-hmm. of each other. Now, that can sound good. Yeah. That, that can sound good. But if you took apart um, a piece of Beethoven, a piece of Mozart, the... Cellos, the violins, the violas are not playing the same uh, piece of music. Mm-hmm. They're playing similar pieces of music. They're playing in the same uh, possible. Well, if you want to get into it, sometimes they won't be playing in the same key. If you listen to some very um, dissonant twentieth-century uh, classical music, um, but they're often playing the same key, same time signature. It's very, very cleverly adjusted so that they, they make a full sound that together sounds interesting
0: mm-hmm.
1: and has a a tonality behind it that you wouldn't get from just all the stringed instruments playing the same thing it, it may be a different octave
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that applies so much to electronic music and i think not enough people can make that connection so that's a very very long ramble but um have you got anything to add to that
0: no that that definitely makes sense and i think that kind of there's, there's a couple of things that you can sort of take into that from, from making house music, um, from really from the start uh, something, something like sound selection is, is so important. Um, and it's, I, it can be quite difficult to describe, like, um, that's, that's a chord sound. This is why it's different to a stab. This is why it's, um, different to a pad. Um, and finding like, how to how to gel that those kind of bits together like you say without just like copy and paste the midi down to this one get a new contact instrument put that on there yeah um, it's about thinking like what what you want it to do um and while you were while you were talking about the uh breaking down the tracks um i can i can see that if people aren't necessarily particularly au fait with with music theory that's like oh, i can't break tracks down musically i don't know what they're doing it's like it wouldn't it's not going down to the level of like listen to any John Williams and he always uses a fifth and yeah. like all of the stuff he does like that. That's not what it's looking for. It's like, okay, like, why, why does that note make my attention or that chord make up my attention? It's like certain chords are there to create tension. Um, certain mm-hmm. chords are there to, as I say, resolve something. And it's like, well, oh, that, that was good. Like I really enjoyed that phrase or that chorus um and yeah it's more like what what does that make you feel without wanting to go to hippie chris is the one <laughs> out in india getting all <laughs> yeah. meditating and um yeah. but yeah like listen listen to a piece of music listen to like a piece of house music and think like why do i feel so different during the 20 seconds before the drop and the 20 seconds after the drop it's because musically lots of different things are going on like there's long sort of droney sounds probably in the yeah. in the build-up um as well as maybe a snare roll and then afterwards it's like um creating that contrast um which is a huge part of of music is creating contrast between the different sections to keep it interesting and to keep it um yeah keep the listeners interest basically so i think that was there was a, something that someone said on a live stream it's like when it comes to transitions three uh one plus one plus one equals one it's like changed three things coming through uh into a different section yeah. of a song and yep. you're going to have a good amount of sort of impact and there's a guy you uh you suck at producing uh cool what's his name uh underbelly who his videos are absolutely hilarious so so funny um but really, really informative as well. He does one on transitions, uh, and it's, it's absolutely hilarious. It's you absolutely have to watch it. It's so so funny.
1: But, but that's but again, like that's really interesting like all those bits you've mentioned, when you talk about incom the house music, I'm thinking, I can apply all that to classical music. Yeah, like, like, transitions, if you want to learn how to do transitions, um, listen to a symphony. Yeah. listen to how listen to how a story is tell is told over a long period of time that flows together and and again I'm not saying you have to become a fanatic about classical music I'm not telling anyone to go out there and listen to music they don't enjoy I'm just saying don't swipe aside stuff just because it's not your cup of tea mm-hmm. because the things you'll learn from it and I mentioned ages ago on a previous episode um, there's a amazing piece of music called "In the Hall of the Mountain King," which loads of people would know, but maybe not know what the name is. It's the. It's an absolute masterclass in how you build tension and dynamics in music. Yeah. If you lots of people have play if you play it and you're gain on your uh monitor control is not up loud. You'd be like, has it have the tracks that I play in yet? Because mm-hmm. it's all the uh string instruments just plucking. Okay. Um very, very softly. And at the end of the piece of music it is screaming at the spe- out of the speakers at you. I mean it mm-hmm. is unbelievably loud. And if you ever heard it live, it's one of those things that everyone sort of sits back in their seats and, and sort of goes, whoa. Yeah. But it's it's built up over this piece of music and it is so cleverly done with instruments coming in, then being taken out, then the tiny bit of percussion coming in the background, and you, it's sort of telling you that it, it's there, but it's not quite there yet. And then suddenly it just absolutely kicks in, the entire orchestra comes in, slams at you at full full pelt, full volume, all the percussion going, and then just dies away to nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say, in, in effect, that's a drop. Yeah. If you want to use a... A, a 21st century colloquialism about electronic music. That is a drop. It is the of a drop. It builds and builds and builds, and then suddenly it's bam, and it's everything out there. It's a lift. It brings the level up to new... It brings the whole feeling of the song up to new level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah, it's made in 1870-something. That's such <laughs> a good point. And, and like, it's just yeah just don't don't dismiss stuff which you may not have listened to out of choice because you never know what you might learn and if
0: you pull one thing from it then that's amazing that's brilliant that's that's so true and it it just applies to every single genre of music and that's an awesome example I can I'm listening through to it in my head at the moment and it's just even if you're not like say you're not interested in classical music it's not something that I personally listen to that much but it just makes sense as to as to why that works when you see like a dynamic range which as a mastering engineer you'll appreciate yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the, having such a vast dynamic range in the track does give it so much impact it's like yeah forget the loudness war this is how to have impact in a track it's not by squeezing every last db out of it that you can um that that does have so, so much impact. And like you say, that goes across all kinds of genres. You think of a rock track that like comes into a little breakdown and it's got like little picky guitar parts, um, some lighter vocals, and then it builds up some other like rhythm guitar comes back in, starts chugging away a little bit. You get drummer starts to come back in. It's like, that is like the string section or like the horn section starting up again a little bit. And then like yeah. say, bam, all of the percussion, like, yeah, drop is, is essentially what well, that's going to do but that's so true. I
1: mean, and, and then skip forward sort of 100 years, you've got The Who who, make a, who write a piece of music called Won't Get Fooled Again where that track is based around a rise and fall. It happens about three or four times and the last time everything cuts away and it's just a synthesizer um, loop being played um, and it's part of the show where all the lights come down, you can't see him on stage, and it's all just do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And then uh, Roger Daltrey does his scream that is unbelievably loud, and it clips on the, on the record, and uh, Pete Downs' whirlwind guitar comes in. Wow. It is an epic piece of music, and that's exactly the same as the track 100 Years Before, doing the same thing, build, soft, 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 smash. Mm-hmm. and the impact it's got ni- the actual piece of music is unbelievably simple it is a arpeggiated um, synth uh, uh, loop and then the chords are like four or three power chords That's and that's it like, on paper as a piece of music it'd be a very boring transcript exactly it's not hundreds of notes everywhere it was just down to the production and the arrangement of those of those things and the fact that the impact works because you have kind of heard the impact once or twice perform the track but mm-hmm. in a completely different way and much shorter and not built up as much and i think if the if the build-up to his sort of scream in the power chords was a 20 seconds shorter it wouldn't have worked if it was 20 seconds longer it wouldn't have worked they probably sat for ages going how many bars should it be should it be 32 should it be 64 should it be eight should it be 12 what, what do we do it they probably played it live yeah over and over again until someone went no it feels right why does mm-hmm. it feel right I don't know it just sounds like it should come in now yeah oh but that's on offbeat I don't care I don't think it's on an offbeat but like even if it was it, who cares they went oh no let's do it let's just do it now because it sounds right
0: yeah there that's we go. it no that's that's an excellent example and there's you will find countless examples throughout every kind of genre of, of good music um good music in, in each genre, should I say, that um, abides to these kind of principles. Like off the top of my head, there's like, um, Kasabian's, not latest record, the one before 4813. Uh, there was a track on there called Treat, which is a, again, a very kind of synth heavy song. Yes, yeah. Um, and That's a really good example. That breaks down to, um, I remember seeing it live in Victoria Park in Leicester. Oh, awesome, man. Incredible, it's like the 10th anniversary of their first album, so it's a massive homecoming show um incredible gig but um it it has guitars it has live drums it has obviously vocals and stuff like um he tells the story during the lyrics during the verses and then you come to this kind of like euphoric kind of almost like two three minute jam at the end of the song which just starts with that (laughs) like you say arpeggiated synth line and then the drums come back and it's like (mumbles) do do Such a simple pattern, and it's so good to see live because Serge is just jamming away on synths and setting this up while he's doing it, and you see his energy build while it's going, and you see that you hear that in the song as well. It comes, it all comes back in with his synths and stuff, uh, and the guitars, uh, not the vocals, but the drums and the bass. Like, oh, it's just—it was such a spectacle to see live, especially with the light show. But I want—I wonder if you see this as mastering engineer. Um, this will be interesting, actually. Do you ever look at waveforms when you've just loaded them in um, to whichever software you're using and look at it and think, that looks really nice and dynamic. You can see like, builds nice, like nice builds, good sections of um, like full impact and then it cuts down and then it really nicely looks like it flows back up nicely.
1: That's a raging really question, actually. First, I say it depends how the door is set up because some have that zoom in feature where it can make everything look squashed up together. Yeah. But no, that they, they, like is. So, what I'm saying is, I don't want everyone to go away and go, oh, I need to look at my waveform. Mm. But um, no, absolutely. Um, I remember I, I did a classical album, Oh, was it December last year? I remember having it loaded, and I had the entire album loaded up. And I could okay. see it as like, a... and I, I knew that this was a a track where it had a not it didn't have a story as such, but it was had a, a had a an overarching theme,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you could see even in the album that happening with the way. it oh, So wow. in in the songs I could see it, but even in the album as well, I could go, ah, oh, so it's it's straight in, huge out. It gradually dies down. Right, the middle bit. There's something happening here. This is very different. This looks very different. The next track is completely soft. This has, It had a harp as the central instrument, not a piano. And so the track was built around the harps. Everything was very, very soft. And so, yes, I definitely see that. And not not just in a track-to-track um, thing, but as an album, you can mm-hmm. also see that as well. Uh, so that's a very interesting point. Very that, interesting, actually.
0: That's awesome. And like you say, it's, it's not something to be like, okay, I need to make sure that my waveform looks like this. It's... It's just a natural byproduct of music that does have that ebb and flow, um, yes, kind ebb of and flow, kind of feel yeah. to it, and yeah, that that is what you're trying to do. Like I think people can get so bogged down in the tech side of things, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, sort of avoiding the fact that that is where yeah. the difference is made. That writing music is writing music is writing music. No amount of EQing or compressing or and putting it through a nicer preamp is going to give you more contrast and more impact it's like no songwriting arrangement listening to loads of different genres and getting that um, sort of influence listening to you making a drum and bass track go and listen to a little bit of hip-hop go and listen to a little bit of yeah. metal go and listen to a bit of classical music and you're going to pick up bits that it's like oh I like what they did there maybe I could do that with my with silence instead of harp or silence yes. instead of like and yeah just taking those kind of ideas and under like face that head on if you're not good yeah. at songwriting an arrangement like invest your time into learning that instead of learning how to program a dope ass bass or leading <laughs> serum but or silence. two questions for you just going
1: back to the saving thing do you think a lot of their not not just theirs, but a lot of bands, maybe because it's a band, because they perform live together and maybe when they're starting off, all their songs were live tracks before they were ever recorded or even thought about recording them. Mm -hmm. Do you think that has an impact on the way you write music? The fact that you're not thinking about it as a recording, you're thinking about it as a song and then the recording becomes a byproduct of, oh, some guy wants to give us a load of money to sell this to other people oh, we should probably record it. Like, I remember the first time I heard LSF, mm-hmm. um, which is just oh, still one of my favorite tracks. And again, it, again for me, it was like a Who or a Kinks track. Yeah. Whereas, oh, come on. Yeah. I got our backs to the wall. It's, a, it's so... so quiet and soft in between. They're just chugging away at the guitars. Mm-hmm. And it's all just sort of, it's a slow sort of backbeat going on. And then suddenly it's a fist through the wall, sh- like not shouting, but the anger and the aggression coming through. Is I wonder whether that was a live track before it was ever conceived as a recorded track, maybe. And that's, that permeated into the production rather than, oh, well, I think it should rise and then it should fall and then we should sort of dial it right back and then come back again and then, or is that just how we ended up playing it live? Cause the reaction from the crowd or we wanted a thing to end the, uh, the,
0: the concert with like, yeah. Do you think that's a really important part? That's such an interesting point actually. And that's something that's kind of, I've been thinking of is gone through my mind like a few times over the last few years. And I think you're, you're absolutely right in the sense that you would get a completely different result if you just, a band formed, and you put them in the studio and said, "Right, record something." Or if you send them out touring for three years and then get them to, to write a record, they're going to sound vastly different. I can, as you were saying that, I, you can picture like Liam Gallagher just like sat back in a chair, like, <laughs> "We just write tunes to the people, man. Like, whatever, well, get some going." Like, and it's it's so like they we don't got an sit impression, and-, and Chris wasn't here. <laughs> we are we are we, we are still keeping this podcast going, Chris. <laughs> it's like. I'll just look at our kid and say, like, what do you think, man? What's what's going to get him going? It's like, yeah, like, not that likes- much music yeah. theory thought comes from, like, Liam, obviously, Noel's an, an incredible songwriter. But um, it's, it's absolutely playing to a crowd. It's like, to go back to LSF, that, I have this, such a vivid image of, they they closed with that, I believe, Um uh yeah they didn't i thought they might close at fire but they, they closed at that which is amazing yeah um, and i've just got this image of the entirety of victoria park charting <laughs> that like yeah da, 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 exactly yeah. Da, 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 da. like for about half an hour after the gig had finished while People, everyone's yeah. the crowds are walking out that's still going on it's like yeah. you Sitting in a studio and coming up with that is so different to seeing fifty thousand people chant that back at you. Yeah, and that energy will go into the record. Oh, that's the thing. I thought, I want to know that whole bit because he does that in the track. It's
1: mm. you can hear that. You can hear that sort of tag. Like everyone was sort of like, "Yeah, well, did did they write that, or was that a reaction?" They thought, "Oh, well, well, we will double down on that in the recording. We'll we'll extend that bit out because we want our people to." Because, again, there's, there's loads of live recordings of that song. And when that bit comes up, you, it's far longer than the track is, yeah. the recorded track, because they want that whole reaction from the crowd. It builds and builds and builds. And then you're like, come on. And then it just goes insane. And, yeah, I can't remember was it, uh, was it live? Oh, I can't remember what the album is. I have it on Spotify. And it's one of my favourite live albums. And I think it happens in, happens in, in Fire as well. Mm. They just elongate bits out. Yes. And we're thinking, if they went back and re-recorded those tracks, mm-hmm. I'd love to know if they would change them again, knowing yeah. how they know that it's reacted to live. And, and I think, again, like taking it back to electronic music, because it's you don't get many gigs where people get to go up and do that kind of thing, as mm-hmm. much as bands, perhaps. Maybe that's not totally true, but... I think if you're an electronic artist and you can perform your stuff live, if you've had the ability with samples or if you've got other people who can play instruments with you, yeah, you, that might just give – even if you do it once or you do yeah. it like fake live where you do it to like just – you get a lot of people in the room together and do it. You haven't got to have a crowd. But you don't know what will come out of someone going – well, I thought about holding this refrain for a, a bit longer because mm-hmm. it felt right. Yeah. You don't get that if you're on your own and
0: Yeah. No, I I completely agree, and you do absolutely get that with live albums. There's two that come to mind, and it, it was the Kasabian one, or at least the one that I've heard. The live album was, I think, from the King Power Stadium, the league, the year that Leicester yes. won the league. Um, like,
1: yeah, I think that's yeah. Uh...
0: I listened to that before, uh, after Victoria Park, and before I went to see them in London last time. And oh my god, like you can feel the energy through it through a live recording. Yeah. It's not often that I prefer live recordings to to like recorded albums but that one oh yeah. my it's amazing and uh, the other band that comes to mind that that do that really really well are the Cortinas yeah um they're like they have such a cult following um like a, they can sell out um, arenas uh, at least like Castlefield Bowl maybe up in up in Manchester and they don't get on the radio like they have a really kind of underground but huge following. Mm. Um, and listening to their live stuff, it's like no, the singing's obviously not as good, but the energy—oh yeah. my lord! Like it's next level. But no one's
1: coming out of the gig going, "Oh, he was a bit off key, wasn't he?" Exactly. Everyone's going, "Oh my god, that was the most amazing gig ever!" And you go, well, "Yeah, because it's that—that's the power of of good music against good technical music." That's... And I think that that's a good encouragement. Go and listen to live stuff as well. Don't mm-hmm. just listen to the radio edits and do listen to live stuff because you do hear songs in different ways mm-hmm. um, I, th- I, I love live I love live music um especially li- good live recordings are hard to come by um, yeah. especially older stuff, which is a real shame because mm. a lot of the music I love um, most of the performers are dead, so they can't yeah. do other live performances <laughs> or it's not the original band doing it but like um if you are like listening to queen live. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I cannot wait for the Queen biopic that's going to come out in November. I just, oh, I, I, again, this is one of the things, some people love Queen, some people hate Queen. I'm not telling you to go and love or hate them. If you do not understand the cultural impact of Queen on music, then you probably shouldn't be doing music as a career, I'm mm. afraid to say. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying you have to go out and love all their music, but if you don't understand the, the way their music has touched an entire generation of people, Mm-hmm. And generations that will continue to go on that music then, then I'd probably say you probably need to reconsider your uh, career or, or hobby uh, path because
0: definitely yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you say that like that that sort of concept really hit home to me when I was listening to an interview between Zayn Lowe and John Mayer, which is mm. an awesome, awesome interview. Zayn Lowe is just he can go so energetic, so fast, so like so quick. And then dive into some really deep stuff. Like he he is a fantastic interviewer. Um, his interviews with John Mayer and Logic as well. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but he was saying like they were talking about phases that they went through and it's like, yeah. It's like they almost describe it kind of like um something that happens to everyone, like puberty. It's like this is when I had my Bob Dylan phase.
1: Yes. This is when I had yeah.
0: my so-and-so phase my Beatles phase and it's like obviously a Bob Dylan phase is a long phase there's a lot to go through (laughs) um and that's not something I've done yet but it's like okay I need I need to go back and do that because if this is something I want to take forward I need to have a good understanding of of the literature and I think more holistically this has come so so nicely full circle coming to the live stuff it's like that's like that's the almost like the end result of music is which people can absolutely contest but Going and playing your music out live to get a reaction from a crowd and make people feel a certain way is a, why a lot of people write music at the end of the day. So playing that out and seeing that it comes, that all begins when you're sat there with your acoustic guitar. When you're sat there with your piano, you're thinking, oh, that that holds tension really nicely. And then when I come into this, that feels really good. And yeah. that translates from that sat in your bedroom to on a stage in front of fifty thousand people in Victoria Park in Leicester, um, Serge holding that cord, chugging away with that tension cord, and then bam, dropping into it. Absolutely, absolutely, that's such a nice full circle to um, to come to. I think it's knowing knowing what you're doing in that sense, how to create tension, um, mm. and just a to touch actually. Like that. That's exactly what I had a realization of when I was because I make uh, house um um hard tech electro progressive house (laughs) (laughs) um and I realized that I I was writing to try and make it sound good in the room that I was in and try and make it sound good to me it's like no that's not where it's going to be received that's not what it's intended for it's intended for a club so get into that mindset of like house music can be really simple because the impact of it is from the subs the impact of it is like it's on a dance floor. It's not something that people are going to necessarily lie on their bed and listen to, whereas you'd probably be more suited to doing that with classical music or a singer-songwriter album. That's not the way in which house music is intended to be consumed. So think about it in context. Think about the end goal. Think about being... A de- That's why DJing and house music goes so well hand-in-hand mm-hmm. together. It's like, think about the reaction you're going to be getting from a crowd um, when, when you're making that track. Put yourself behind the decks or on the dance floor. What would you want in that situation? Um, and a great example was my brother last night. He absolutely smashed it, um, a gig that he played in Oxford. And um, yeah, hearing, hearing some of the tracks there, it's I hear him playing them up here and it's like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. But when he's playing them out, it's like, wow. Has a different meaning, a different reaction. Yes. Completely yep. different. So to summarise, get to know how to create contrast, how to create impact with songwriting, so they're getting bogged down with EQs and think about it in the context that you want it to be received in, whether that's uh, playing out to 50,000 people when you're in arenas or whether it's to a club, the Bullingdon in Oxford with 500 people there dancing yeah. away. It's like, how, what do you want this music to do?
1: Yeah, that's, that, that's really, I, I really like that summation you did there. Because that, I think, if you're thinking of your end goal, then... That's good. Like you need to. Don't think about. I'm just making a track. Would you want it to be? Are you going to release it? I think that's the thing. It's the 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 mental state as well. It. What is it? What's it going to do? I know you shouldn't just make music because you want it to be out there. You should make music for yourself. But get someone else involved as well. I would say, and Mm the the importance of having someone else, someone else's opinion, is so vital, especially if you're stuck, especially in a headspace, especially if you can't finish something. Getting someone else in is really important. That's why I always say, get in contact with people when you're working. If you're a mixer, get in contact with your mastering engineer. If you're recording, get in contact with your mixer or your mastering engineer. If you're in a band, talk about it. If you're just a producer on your own, talk to another producer. Don't just sit and do it alone. Yeah. And just a little anecdote to sum that up, um, Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. It's a brilliant piece of music, but the electric guitar on it, didn't exist. Um, they recorded the song as a complete folk acoustic song. Okay. Left the recording studio and the engine, or this is the story. An engineer with the producer, I can't remember the name of the producer, but he said, Oh, it's not right. It doesn't sat, it's not going to be a hit or something. And an engineer did the electric guitar overdub over it. Paul right. Simon, being Paul Simon, obviously didn't like it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what his contract was, whatever reason it was the label decided to keep the electric guitar part in. And this is just the story. It may not be true, but I've heard from a lot of people. Mm. I'd love to know whether that song would have been a hit if the electric guitar wasn't, or it was just another folk acoustic song like um, some of the other tracks they did. I'm trying to think, uh, because there's Scarborough Fair and things like that. Mm. Which is still big, big tracks and very well known from them. But that's that the power from Sound of Silence for Mm -hmm. me, comes from the electric guitar over it. And it was someone else's input who just suddenly thought, no, I can hear this, I can hear that. Just because you can't hear it, sometimes Mm -hmm. a producer or the songwriter needs to have the confidence to let other people in. Yeah. Because you don't know know the impact they might have on your music. And it's not giving up control. Mm -hmm. It's not... You're not losing out. You're not being taken down a level by someone they're not encroaching on you you can stop them from doing it but you don't know where the you don't know where your track might go if you get someone else to go oh well have you thought about this Mm -hmm. and you don't know the impact that could be so don't shy away from getting other people involved yes there are lots of complications when it comes to money and various things and that's for another podcast which we'll do about those sort of things but just on a superficial production um point of view get people involved share music with ideas of people yes you can make music on your own but you'll have a much more enjoyable time and you'll feel much more fulfilled as a person doing other people i
0: couldn't agree more the ego needs to go aside there absolutely um (laughs) the ego is the enemy here's the (laughs) weekly appearance of a Book recommendation.
1: <laughs> I was getting um, worried, John. I was it, getting worried. I think, are we going to get to the end of a, a conversation
0: and John not recommend a book? I could just like something didn't feel right. I couldn't put my finger on it. It was like, no, I haven't forced another book on Chris in this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I need to get that. I need to squeeze that in before we wrap up. Um, uh, yeah, the ego is the enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, quite a lot about it. It's about stoic philosophy, which is nowhere near as dry as it sounds. Um, but yeah, that that's really interesting in terms of putting your ego aside, and it's something that I've experienced. It's like you don't want to let people in on your music. It's like no, this is I've worked so hard on this. It's such a personal thing. But being open to that, I think, as you say, it it can really really benefit what you do. Absolutely. Well,
1: I think that's a really good place to end there. Um, we did talk about some of our tracks. We didn't talk about loads of things, but I really want to do another episode where we talk about some tracks. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get Chris involved in that podcast as well. Um, What we'll do is we'll pick maybe five or six tracks we really like, and we'll just talk about them from production techniques and maybe some things we know about the track or some insider information. And the point of that, listeners, is is to maybe help some people think, okay, now I'll go away and I'll look at some of my favourite tracks in the way Chris and John and Chris hopefully have have thought about it. Mm -hmm. And... I would really hope that helps some people and that podcast will be coming very soon. Um, we are a bit, we are going to be a little bit all over the place for the next couple of weeks while Chris is away. Um, we will try and keep these podcasts going out as regularly as possible. Um, and again, I'd like to say thank you to our listeners. Um, thank you that we've had such an amazing response from everyone. It's just been unbelievable and we're getting more plays than we ever hoped to have got before. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, please rate and review us on iTunes. That's really helpful because it means that other people get to see the podcast and we get to help more people and we get to build a community even more. So I really encourage you to go and do that, everyone. Uh, And I'd like to say thank you very much, John, for joining me this morning. Um, Very short notice. And I really appreciate you coming on and
0: and assisting me with this podcast. I would have hated to do it alone. Uh, So thank you very much. Don't be silly. No, it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And again thank you to, to the listeners and thank you for for what you and chris do for the listeners like i'm i'm sure they would absolutely say that back to you it's it, the unlock your sound community growing from the facebook group into the podcast is something that i can see people getting a ton of value from and i personally get a hell of a lot of value and a lot of enjoyment oh, out, thanks, of, out of what you guys are doing so yeah i really really appreciate that thanks john thank you very much right we will see you all next week see you later guys